Hello, welcome to the Find Your Calm podcast. I'm Noelle C. Guevara, and through my work as a pastor, educator, and writer, I've often helped people find their calm as they navigate faith and family and being a person in this chaotic life. Here's the truth. I don't know how to avoid chaos or how to prevent the anxiety that chaos inevitably causes, but I have had more than a little practice in finding my calm when life beckons anxiety instead. If you're looking for space to take a deep breath, steady yourself, and discern what you need to move forward, you're right where you belong. Listen in for a few simple tips to find your calm and take your next faithful steps forward. All right, let's do a little rewind. So in the last episode of season two, I talked with my friend Heidi, who is a spiritual director in training, um, and we talked about how to wrestle with your faith in the midst of change. I have re-examined and changed my theology on repeat in the last few years, and it's been a hard and holy struggle, but I'm still here. A painful exit from a faith community that I loved has me still wrestling, wrestling even more with what I believe about the church and spiritual abuse and church hurt, but I'm still here, and God is still here with me in the midst of it all. Those changes in that wrestling has led me to rethink the kind of faith and the particular traditions that I want to pass on to my children. And it has me thinking about the ways I want to pass it on to them. I have learned that above all, I want to cultivate a curious faith in my kids, a faith that is led by the Holy Spirit, who has been faithful to illuminate truth in my journey and whom I trust to do the same in my kids' journeys as well. So today we will dive into that deep well, how to cultivate a curious faith in ourselves and in our homes. We can't export what we don't own. So while we're talking about passing on a curious faith today, whatever faithful steps we share throughout the episode are meant for us as grownups to take and then invite kids to take alongside of us. I've invited a friend and former coworker to join us. Maddie Almer worked with me as children's pastor on our family ministry team, and we've worked together on some creative projects as well. When it comes to kids and faith, she leads in this area so well. For me, the years spent parenting and pastoring and writing curriculum and resources has cultivated this into a passion area. I don't have it figured out by any means, but I'm deeply curious what this kind of faith within family could look like, and I'm eager to share what I'm learning along the way. So before I invite Maddie to join me in this conversation, I'm going to share a story just for a little bit of context. My very first memory of faith, and maybe my first memory in general, was when I was three, not quite four years old. The memory takes place in my bedroom in a house we moved out of before I turned four, so I couldn't have been any older than three. Anyways, here's what I remember. It was morning, and I woke up to the sun streaming through my window. My bed was just off to the side, my head facing the open curtains, and so when the sun came up, it sent streams of light through my room and nudged me awake. I remember the way it created hazy beams with dust particles suspended in the air, As a little girl, I didn't know they were dust. To me, they sparkled and they danced as if to say, the day has begun, won't you join us? On this morning, pulled by sunbeams to the window, I swung out of bed, my feet hitting the wood planks on the floor. I set aside a stuffed rabbit, less of a snuggly bunny and more of a pillow that was hand-sewn with rabbit features. 
I think it was like the 80s version of a Squishmallow, and I wish I could show it to my eight-year-old now. But back to my feet on the floor, I trudged up the hill to the window. And I say trudged because in my memory, the floor slanted steeply from my bed in the corner to the window. My parents who remember the room with adult perspective will tell you that the floor was in fact slightly slanted. You could roll a marble down from the window to my bed, but it wasn't much of a trudge back in the other direction. But in my three-year-old imagination, it was a journey. And this journey was compelled by curiosity. I had a singular thought in my head, a burning question that I wasn't even looking to answer as much as roll around in my imagination like a dream you wake up trying to finish. I looked out my window and I searched for Jesus. I remember thinking with a thrill of wonder and excitement, is today the day he'll come back? Is he coming back for me? What will happen next? I have that image frozen in my mind, me on tiptoes, forehead pressed to the window pane, curiosity filling my thoughts. I don't know what I did next. If I asked my mom any questions, if I pulled my brothers to the window to search with me, probably not. I kept most of my thoughts juggled in my own mind, tossing them around like a secret talent, rarely tossing them to another in a back and forth game of catch. At the age of three, I did not have a well-developed theology. I hadn't studied eschatology, although I was already being fed bits of it in Sunday school. I was simply curious about when Jesus would show up in front of me, and I wanted to catch the first glimpse. Years would pass, and I would become a student of a very specific eschatological theology. (laughs) If you're unfamiliar with that phrase, it doesn't mean you don't have your own formed and imprinted version of it. You do. It's simply a branch of theology that focuses on death and judgment and the final destiny of the soul and humans in general. I grew up hearing about the end times, as the fiery preachers called it. There were whole services focused on Jesus' second coming and things like the rapture and the great tribulation and the apocalypse. It was really a rather fringe theology by comparison to others that are more widely preached, but in my church tradition, Preparing for the end times was paramount. If we weren't ready, cue DC Talk singing, you've been left behind. But I digress. Sometime after I left my bedroom window with curiosity and wonder, I picked up some companions along the way. Traveling preachers warned that Jesus was coming back and I learned to be afraid. Sunday school teachers spelled out the horrors of the tribulation and the way to secure my ticket out via the rapture, and I learned to be vigilant. I stopped being curious, and I learned to be certain. If curiosity was the milk I was weaned off of, then certainty was the meat and potatoes that I was all but force-fed. I don't say these things to disparage my leaders or my Sunday school teachers who loved me so well. And I'm really grateful that I had parents who created space for my skepticism, to be honest. (laughs) They were all heeding the same warnings and trying to save me for Jesus. And in many ways, I'm deeply grateful. But having untangled many theologies from my faith, some of which were deeply harmful and others that were simply sideways energy, I now know more and can do things differently. I want to pass on a curious faith to my kids. The faith that pulled me from my warm bed and into the dust-scattered sunlight of my childhood window, looking for Jesus, sure he was going to show up for me. I want to recapture that faith for myself 
and let it light me up from within so my kids find themselves pulled toward its warmth. I don't need them to be certain about eschatology or any other ology, but I do want them to be deeply curious about it all. I want them to plumb the depths of scripture with wonder, asking questions until they're answered, or even better, lead to more questions. I want them to turn their faces toward open windows, sure of one thing, God is going to show up for them. Or even better, he's right there beside them and has been all along. But I don't want to convince them of his presence. What is the fun in that when instead I can watch God do the convincing and come alongside him as he does? I want that for my kids, but I also want that for every child and family. I'm no longer interested in a children or family ministry model that's focused on teaching kids enough correct information that they become a well-behaved believer of that information. I'm not willing to hope that teaching with certainty produces certainty and will somehow compel kids to adopt a certain theology. I'm tossing any curriculum that repeats a phrase enough for kids to regurgitate it without a question or gasp, doubt. I'm shredding lessons that tell kids this Bible character made this choice, and so now I know I need to make the same choice or the opposite one, depending. Give me scripture and a deep wonder of all its complexity and nuance, and give me storytellers who will convey that to kids so they get swept up in the story. I want to introduce kids to Jesus in a way that leads them to know in their souls he can be trusted. Because if they experience Jesus as trustworthy, then he'll beckon them to windows and beyond, showing up to walk closely with them so they can keep walking right on next to him, towards mountaintops and through valleys of death's shadow, until all the eschatology stuff works itself out. Okay, that was a lot of passionate words. I have some feelings here, obviously. And you guys, I loved working with Maddie because she shares that passion and she did such an incredible job of sharing it with kids and students. So I'm going to jump to the next part where Maddie comes in and shares her wisdom and insight on this matter. You guys are in for a treat. We have done a lot of work on our shared ministry philosophy and I learn from her as much as I hope she learns from me. So I don't know exactly how Maddie's going to answer my questions, but I do know that she's going to be on board with a few faithful steps forward and passing on a curious faith. And again, to be honest, she has largely informed and inspired these steps. Maddie, welcome. It's so fun to have you here. We planned to do this a long time ago. We did. Like months and months ago, like back, uh, what, April or May, we were going to record and then you had a baby like three months early. Surprise! Which was wild. And then you came back right as I left. Another surprise! <laughs> and then, because um, we, for those of you listening, like we worked together and then I left and now she's leaving and now we're at my house. So <laughs> it's so great to be here. It is. And we're finally recording this episode, which is exciting. We were just talking about how like, so much in our life has changed, but as we went back to the script, we had to narrate or edit some of the details, um, but the actual points we made, we still believe in and are excited about. So can't wait to start sharing that with you guys who are listening. So Maddie, can you share a little bit about what inspired your passion to cultivate faith in kids and families? 
Yes, I always knew I wanted to work with kids. So the natural step coming out of high school seemed to be go to college, be an elementary school teacher, and maybe get some middle school endorsements here or there. Um, But during the summer and fall of 2019, God made it really apparent to me that he was calling me out of public school teaching and into ministry. And with only weeks left of my bachelor's degree, I pivoted my dream of being a teacher and I ended up interning with kid ministry to finish out my degree. And that interning ended up being with the great Noel. Yay. (laughs) So glad that happened. Yes. Dream team for sure. (laughs) And then it just really helped pave the road to work part-time in ministry and During the COVID shutdown, I received my master's degree in early childhood education, and I ended up landing a full-time job as a children's pastor, and I loved it. (laughs) One of my favorite parts of the job was getting to support kids and their curiosity to seek God and come alongside their family to support their children's social and emotional health. And I've worked in children's programming at a public library. I've worked as a school librarian and preschool teacher. And all these experiences have really shaped my passion for kids and families. And I'm super excited to nurture that excitement in my current role as an early intervention support coordinator. So exciting. And Maddie has been my kids' children's pastor, did a phenomenal job and loved having her influence in their life. So again, just really excited that you guys get to experience her wisdom today too. So let's get into some practical tips for parents, grownups who work with kids. Uh, We're going to talk about four faithful steps forward in passing on curious faith. And again, we can't export what we don't own. So if you're a grownup, even without kids, this is um, important for you too. So I'm going to share steps and then I'm going to ask Maddie um, for you to expound on them a little bit, if that's okay. Let's get into it. All right. So first step, cultivate curiosity over certainty. So Maddie, talk to me about curiosity as it applies to kids and faith. Why is it important or why would it matter to prioritize curiosity over what for years was a high priority on certainty. And just a little background for me, apologetics were a huge deal in my formative years. So if you're a listener who didn't grow up in the church, apologetics is the discipline of defending doctrine, both broad and specific. So basically being able to debate what you believe and win. That's that's the idea. So I think the idea was that if we were to teach kids and adults to defend their beliefs, then they would be more likely to retain them, which I've actually not seen play out very well. So Back to the question, more words about curiosity over certainty. Curiosity is already ingrained in kids. It's what they do best. And if you're around kids for more than five minutes, they'll probably ask you a question or maybe seven. (laughs) So true. (laughs) And they are just so observant and we can learn so much from kids in the way that they approach everything around them with a curious mindset. But I find it interesting how adults hold so tightly to certainty. And there's a few things that are healthy to be certain about. Like, I'm certain that God loves me and cares for me. Mm -hmm. But then this makes me wonder, when did we as adults lose this perspective on curiosity? When did we stop asking questions and stop approaching situations with wonder? Mm. We have it all wrong when we start to assume that asking questions about God correlates with a rocky faith in him. So I love the shift from prioritizing certainty in what we believe to allowing ourselves to be curious about God and faith. I think 
there's been an unsaid and sometimes explicitly learned (laughs) (laughs) shame and implicit guilt in asking questions about God and the Bible. Mm. I've been told that I have a lack of faith and just need to believe, or I need to pray to have God take away my questions. And this dismissed a really important part of my personality growing up. If you're familiar with the Enneagram, (laughs) um, I'm a stereotypical type five, learning new things and asking questions is one of my favorite things to do. And I love to know more and dig deeper. So when there was an emphasis on certainty, but not a culture to ask questions and find answers will lead to that. I had a hard time finding the certainty that I believe so many people had. Mm which is just a false reality that we've lived in. And if we lead with our curiosity and let the Holy Spirit guide our inquisitiveness and pondering, it takes the shame out of asking great questions. And it can actually bring us into deeper conversations with people around us. And it gives God the ability to move and speak into our curiosity than if we had held so tightly to that certainty. Yeah, some really good points there. And like that dismissal or um, even just being bothered by questions is really hard as someone who is naturally an asker of questions. I'm not an Enneagram five, but I was um, a kid who now I would say like had discernment, but at the time was just called skeptic. So the questions that I asked were, um, again, very similarly, like you don't have enough faith or you're being negative, um, which is not, not as helpful as I think some people thought it would be. So on to the next step. Okay. We talked about curiosity. Now we're going to talk about cultivating wonder over knowledge. So if certainty is built on knowledge and knowledge of information specifically versus a more like internal sense of knowing, then would you agree that curiosity flourishes through wonder? And what's the difference? How is wonder more impactful than knowledge? Absolutely. Curiosity flourishes through wonder in so many ways. And this is where kids really shine. Mm. They're naturally curious and they should be. They're continuously learning about the world around them on a level that uses all of their senses. They use sight and sound, taste, touch, and smell. And kids are constantly receiving new information about the world around them. And they're always scaffolding or integrating the new information with their prior knowledge. It's no wonder that kids need so much sleep, (laughs) whether or not they want it. Yes. Sometimes we have to convince them that they do need their sleep still. They do need to take a nap. Their brains are working really hard to gather, categorize, and store this information. So as adults, we want to help kids feed their curiosity so that they ask more questions and are able to make sense of their world at an age appropriate developmental level. Mm. And the Bible talks about having a childlike faith. And I think sometimes us adults have a really hard time with this because childlike faith begins with wonder. Mm. When was the last time you've let yourself wonder and be curious, especially about God? I'm sure for a lot of us, it's been quite some time. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to arrive at the hard and fast truth without being curious first and leaning into that wonder from the beginning. And it's the process of wondering and being curious where God is able to really open our eyes and see the big picture and reveal himself to us. Yeah. I want to circle back. You just made a great point about how the Bible talks about having a childlike faith. And so often, I mean, I hear this like explained from pulpits, this idea that childlike faith means simple faith. It means I just take it for what it is and I don't ask questions, which is like our not our experience in working with kids, right? Like when we teach kids about God, they're not like, yes, okay, we believe it, no questions asked. Are you kidding me? They have so many questions. 
It's like their questions are huge and sometimes they stump me and that's okay. But yeah, I, that's such a great point. More words, people out there for like childlike faith being about wonder and not simplicity. Okay. Off the soapbox now. Third step, um, practicing meditation over memorization. I come from an Awana's background. Actually, I come from a sunlight background, church history drama anyways. So I was memorizing scripture as soon as I could talk. And I do not think that scripture memorization is bad to be clear, but I do think it can be missing something. Some curriculums use the term remember verse for this reason to focus on meditating on scripture versus memorizing it. So what would you say is the difference? That's a great question. But first, I was a diehard Awana kid. Love, so love. give me a little bit of insight on what sunlight is here. <laughs> Open my eyes to this new okay. program. So a huge fan of Awana. Like fun fact, I actually wrote curriculum for Awana. It's great. We love Awana. But I grew up in um, an Assemblies of God church. And in, I think the 80s, there was a split. They, Awana wouldn't let the AGB part of Awana or, or use Awana because of the Holy Spirit stuff. I don't know. It was just like they, we, they were excommunicated. And so our area, um, a Sons of God church wrote their own spinoff called sunlight, which is basically like a wanna, but more verses about the Holy Spirit. So just interesting churches. Right. And then there was like a reconciliation movement where Awana now lets everyone use their curriculum. How beautiful drama. That's my understanding. Don't quote me. This is not a historical, you know, reference, but that was, that's, that's the drama. So anyways, back to you and Awana. All right. Thank you for the background. (laughs) That shapes how I answer this. (laughs) So like I said, I was an Awana kid all the way back to cubbies and there's a time and a place to store up the scripture in your heart. But I was like a machine (laughs) earning these Awana bucks. I craved that outward affirmation and positive reinforcement Looking back, I was looking for validation from the grown-ups around me mm-hmm. um, and not a relationship with Jesus. And I checked off the verses. I zoomed through the mm-hmm. books. I got the gems to pin onto my vest. Yes. I was the perfect poster child for Awanas. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> and so there was so much emphasis on knowing the scripture word for word rather than meditating on what it was actually saying. And that's the difference. Memorization is all head knowledge and doesn't require much thinking to regurgitate it back to somebody. Mm -hmm. Meditating on a verse, on the other hand, is sitting with a verse, not for the sake of rote memorization, but for the importance of understanding what God is trying to tell us. Yeah, so good. And if you look, especially at the Psalms, but throughout scripture, there's a lot of verses on meditating. There's a biblical precedent for, for meditation that I think is important to pay attention to. So final step. Uh, practice awareness over hustling. This one feels tricky. So I'm going to expound a little bit before I ask a question. So hang in with me. I've always been taught that God loves me no matter what. Just to be clear, that was always taught to me. I was taught that I don't have to earn or hustle for his love. I've always been taught that God is with me, that I don't have to earn or hustle for his presence. But also, I received a lot of explicit and implicit messages that while God loves me just as I am, he also loves me enough to not leave me there, which is true-ish. 
practically this plays out in a soteriology or a doctrine of salvation that in no uncertain terms laid out that if I wandered off the path, if I sinned even once and mid wandering or mid sinning, Jesus came back, remember the window, cue the DC talk, I would be left behind. Jesus was with me and that he was always watching, but also a wrong move could mean he left me behind. So I learned to hustle even as I claimed a theology of grace. I feared missing the path or missing God's voice or missing the warning sign that would prevent any number of demises. I stopped being aware of God's presence in me and all around me because I was always trying to chase it down. So here's the question, and I'm going to leave this wide open. Talk to our listeners about this idea of practicing awareness of God, whether that's his presence or his love or his work in the world instead of hustling or trying to earn it? This is a great question that could get us caught up in the weeds very quickly. And one that I've been thinking about lately is the correlation between the attachment style a child has with their caregiver and their attachment style that the child will have with God later in life. Mm. There's a strong evidence that links the two together. So if we're a caregiver who embraces our children and meets their needs, that's how we're going to view God. Mm. If we're a caregiver who only shows up when we're doing something wrong, then that's how we're going to view God too. And if we're a caregiver who counts our mistakes and the mistakes of our kids, then that's how we're going to view God as well. So the way that we talk about God with our kids is really important because it helps form the foundation of what they believe about God and if they can or cannot trust him. And the way we live like Christ will affect our kids too. Mm, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> just just a little bit. Just a little. Just a little. Um, that is where we call in our therapists. So true. So true. Extra God bless, resources. God bless the therapists. <laughs> And if we focus on his wrathful nature and the end of times, and I'm glad to say that I'm not the only one scarred by left behind. (laughs) (laughs) And if we focus on the needing to stay on the straight and narrow path, zero mistakes tolerated, then kids will learn to fear us and they're going to fear God. Mm. And don't get me wrong, there's a time and place to discuss God's wrath and jealousness and overwhelming power. But I think it's really important to remain age and developmentally appropriate when discussing Mm. God with our kids. And this narrow view of God doesn't show kids the relationship that we're invited into with God. Because who would want a personal relationship with someone who is constantly watching and counting your every misstep? That's an abusive relationship at its finest. Yeah, right. And this thinking will almost always miss the mark on what God meant for us to have, a personal and right relationship with him. And there is no work on our end that is required to receive God's grace. Mm. And so I think that talking about the way that we think about God Mm -hmm. really cultivates how we are aware of God. So if we're only aware of his his anger, then we're not looking for his love in other places. Yeah, we're missing the other things. Yeah, there has to be a good, yeah. And like you said, a developmentally appropriate balance. Like there are parts of God's nature and character that kids are not going to grasp at the beginning ages. There's parts of who God is and the complexity of God that even like from a spiritual growth standpoint of like, I understand God and can grasp him more fully now than I did 10 years ago. Um, even as a grown adult, I was a grown adult 10 years ago, but like for kids that they're devi- as they developmentally grow and change, they can better understand the fullness of God. I also want to circle back really quick. Cause we made a joke about like the pressure of being a parent and it is true. And we see this in scripture and, 
um, obviously in the data that like we model for our kids, um, not just the stories, telling the stories about God, but also the relationship we have with our kids helps our kids form a relationship with God. But as a parent of now almost two adults, my oldest two are going to be 18 and 19. I want to just take off the pressure to be perfect. If my kids see me being imperfect, that doesn't automatically ruin their view of God. Because the reality is, is when I fail, what I get to tell my kids is God doesn't. So my mistakes, my shortcomings, when I own them, when I take responsibility for them, when I name them, point my kids to a perfect God. So I want to have a warm and loving and caring relationship with my kids and tell them that God wants the same. But also when I mess up, I can tell my kids God doesn't mess up. And so just parents out there, especially like with young kids feeling like, oh no, now I'm going to ruin my kid's relationship with God. Like it doesn't require perfection. Again, we can go on about that, but just an encouragement. (laughs) For sure. And it's an encouragement that I need to hear as I'm starting off in parenthood, Mm -hmm. very new to it all. Yes. So the mistakes that we make point our kids to a God who's perfect. And that is something to hold on to when we, when we are imperfect as we are. So we've said a lot of things. So I want to go back and just recap the steps that we talked about today. So we talked about the first step we talked about was to cultivate curiosity over certainty, then to cultivate wonder over knowledge, to practice meditation over memorization and to practice awareness over hustling. So um, this has been a great conversation, and I am certain that the people that know me and don't yet or haven't yet known you will want to know more. So how can listeners find and connect with you, Maddie, on the internet? Yes, I've loved being here. You can connect with me on Facebook or Instagram through um, my website, Faith and Feelings. Mm -hmm. It's where we emulate God um, while also chasing after our emotional health as well. And so you can find me there. Yeah. And then, yeah, you're going to see more for Maddie um, and I working together in the future, creating some resources for parents to pass on faith in this way that really cultivates curiosity. So I'm excited to do more work there. Thank you, Maddie, so much for joining us. So we're going to transition now to a closing practice that Maddie's going to lead for us. So listeners, I hope you enjoy this closing practice with Maddie. Let's do a belly breathing prayer. I want you to place one hand on your chest and one hand on your belly. As you breathe in, make sure you're feeling your hand on your belly move up and down, not the hand on your chest. We want to connect with ourselves and fill our bodies with deep breaths. If you want to do this with kids or if this is difficult for you, lay down on your back, put a pillow or stuffed animal on your belly and watch it move up and down as you breathe. Now, as you belly breathe, talk to God about how you're feeling. Release the tension in your body and ask God to fill you with his spirit. Thank you for joining Maddie and I today for this conversation on faith and curiosity and a way to reimagine what it would look like to pass this sort of faith on to our kids. I hope you are able to unburden yourself, to get your bearings, find your focus, and begin to enjoy or at least truly experience that life that's within and around you. Life is chaotic, we know this to be true. But even in the midst of chaos, you can find your calm and take your next faithful steps forward. As always, you can connect with me on Instagram as Noelle C. Guevara. I love connecting with people over there. 
If the ideas in this episode sparked curiosity about what this kind of faith could look like in a practical way, like you love the concept, but you feel a bit unclear or overwhelmed on how you can actually make this happen, whether that's for yourself or for your family, I have a resource for you. I'm here to help you take faithful steps forward in not only cultivating a curious faith in your own life, but in your kids as well. Maddie and I, along with our friend and spiritual director in training, Heidi Rodert, have been working on a Lent study called Unexpected Jesus. The weeks leading up to Easter offer space for us to take a closer look at the life of Jesus, staying curious about the ways his words and actions and movements were unexpected. This study has a free bonus in the form of a family resource that's simple and meaningful, and it will help you experience all the things that we talked about in this episode. We're going to be using it in our home, and I cannot wait. If you want 2024 to be a year that you develop a curious faith in yourself and in your home, join us for this Lent study. I'll post and have been posting more info on the socials, or you can head to noelcguevara.com slash Lent to snag your copy. Until next time, I'm Noel C. Guevara, and I'm so grateful to be your host and guide as we navigate the chaos of life together.